Hello everyone, welcome to another Azure centric Azure news updates weekly podcast and uh, this week we are we having our normal team me and and Andrew Lowe's uh, and we are talking about what is new from since the last weekly updates uh, before starting um, we are receiving a great uh, feedback so thank you very much for that um, apparently this new format of weekly it will help everyone to just uh, listen to the news what was released and what was updated in the Azure world um, from last week from the last um, episodes these episodes are being released um, on Mondays every Monday uh, usually at morning time on on mountain time we are based in Calgary um, so uh, please just uh, help us subscribe uh, our channels and to just give a little bit more insight or what you like or what you want to explore um, so hello Andrew hello Marcos yes and also uh, from from me as well thank you for the feedback uh, it's really helpful for us because it lets us kind of uh, help integrate the direction that our, our listeners want to hear. So that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we've been doing this weekly. And I think this week there was some cool updates that came out again. Yeah, there are some cool updates. There, it was a kind of kind of a, a quiet week for on Azure World, let's say this way. But <laughs> a very excited very excited uh, week as well as always. Uh, Azure and cloud doesn't doesn't uh, stop surprising us, right? So let's jump on the first one. And the first one is by our friend, dear friend, Mark Rusunovic, the CTO of Azure. And he's talking about, um, it's not a, a, an update or not a release, but he's talking about how the global network becomes more reliable. Um, regarding Azure um, through what's called the intelligent software. So this is, again, this is a, a, a post or a blog post that is on Azure uh, blog. And it talks about the impressive, if you if you read all of this blog, it's, it's two parts. So he released the first part. We are hoping that next week we can conclude this topic. But it's massive, um, the, the network, what's called the dark uh, fiber of, um, of Azure. It's pretty massive. We're starting to see all over the world already that. So we're talking about over 60 regions. Uh, that's insane. Uh, it's the biggest footprint that we have on any cloudy provider in the world. Uh, we have yep. more than 220 data centers, 170 edge sites, and this is probably we can spend a little bit more time explaining what are those numbers. And what is, is uh, for me, uh, blow my mind is we have and, more than 165,000 miles in fiber. So last time I, I did my math, it was coming to the moon and come back, right? Going to the moon and come back. 
something like that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that is a lot of fiber, my friend. Oh my God. Uh, wow. <laughs> Are you kidding? And and here I am in the city of Calgary, and I still have trouble getting fiber in my neighborhood. And Azure has it wrapped around the world. How many times? <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 I insane. Know, but but yeah. two hundred and twenty data centers, though, all fibered uh, together in a mesh yeah. topology, right? And, um, you know, there's lots of redundancy. So uh, Mr. Rasanovich was talking um, very uh, candidly in this article, I thought, about how Azure is working to improve reliability. And I loved the word that he's uh, kind of coined here, the de-risking of changes. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. So he talked about uh, the open network emulator or ONE1. And then he talked about uh, the real-time operation checker. And uh, it's about uh, emulating devices and networks, uh, systems really, so that they can uh, kind of test changes ahead and they can also simulate that hardware and networks and software that are, uh, you know, on the emulated pieces of uh, really the Azure systems. And, uh, you know, the net result is that, you know, and, you know, I can also speak to this over even the last uh, maybe two to three years, we have seen less and less interruption uh, due to changes. I remember getting alerts, you know, at least two to three times a week yeah. um, through the Azure app on my mobile. Hey, your network is impacted by something that's going on. And it's like, you know, you're always shaking your fist at the sky. Those darn clouds, right? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, old man shakes fist at clouds, I think is the uh, phrase this, from the... And this came, the, if you listen to our podcast and, and you are one of our subscribers, we already talk about that because if you go back to the video uh, that we talk about the Ignite, um, kind of the review of Ignite, um, we talk about this. They released on Ignite that was September, uh, so basically almost two months ago. Um, they released a lot of updates regarding their um, their zone reliability, the zone redundancy, the data center redundancy, the difference between a lot of regions, what is composed by a region, what is composed by a zone and all of that, um, that they are improving. And one of the things that that decides, and probably going back, just if you follow us, or if you are watching this through YouTube, that we have 170 edge that edge sites, and that and 200 plus 220 plus data centers. So data center, it's it's if you're going if you read in this and you have the key design principles. It's one of the things it's that define data center or zone in this case to a region is the proximity. In this case, what are we talking about? It's not the, the proximity by, by the location, but by the latency between those data centers. Mm -hmm. So that's what define region in, um, in Azure. So that's why we have 60 plus. And if you divide that, you get a little bit more than three, almost four data centers per region. But that doesn't happen because we have regions that they have less and we have regions that they have 
probably one data center they're starting with to just open that region because it's that key design principle. Um, I found um, I found very very interesting the way that they do it. It just blows them your mind mm -hmm. how they're doing. Yeah, because... I like how they're gonna they're keeping the regional traffic uh, yeah. on their internal network, right? So they're keeping it on their internal fiber, internal you know high speed whatever they're using. Yes, and uh, I have to assume it's fiber, but <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, really, it can be any I don't think it's coaxial cables or something like that, right? I don't. Yeah, we're probably <laughs> not dealing with a, a ring topology. No, here. no, no. <laughs> and, and this is all of this fiber. It's Microsoft own. So it is. Yeah, it's that's not really the public because they're, that's that's yeah, what they're impressed, also helping right? to control those costs. Right. So they're keeping their costs, which keeps our costs as users of Azure lower. And we see less data egress charges when it's on the internal network, right? So that's a very good point. I see know, these it's an on advantage the, for us. It is an advantage, but I see these on a, on a different level. I don't see related to costs. I see related to security, because if that it's, this well, is yes. controlled by Microsoft, all the network, all of these, plus then 165 thousand miles of fiber, means that. It's basically their own network. We don't have any anyone to just flowing on that network or not. That's what I'm. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming that's what makes me feel a little bit more secure as well. But yeah, yeah, uh, and, and it is right because anytime our connection goes off of um, our provider, so in this case Microsoft's backbone through a pop to an external ISP to then transit their network to somewhere else. You're right. We have an opportunity for bad actors to have physical access yeah. or uh, even remote access to another operator's uh, equipment. Yeah. So Microsoft goes to extreme lengths uh, for monitoring. And, you know, that's what we're talking a little bit about here. So they, they don't only monitor and emulate pushing changes out, but they're monitoring live configs. They're taking a look at all of these things. So any good, uh, you know, knock or network operations center is going to be monitoring configurations for changes. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak to exactly what happens in an Azure knock, but I have to make not a big assumption that they will also be monitoring network configs, uh, oh, equipment yeah. configs. Um, it's pretty, you know, standard stuff, right? So. Of course. Uh, it, it, the more we keep our data on that internal, that Microsoft managed network. Uh, whether it's regional or you know interregion as well, as long as we can stay on the Microsoft fiber, um, well, I'll use my phrase. You know, we're cooking with gas, right? Because uh, it's now it's more secure, so it lends to all of these vertical offerings that we've talked about in episodes past. Uh, you know, healthcare uh, certainly not the least of uh, those big advances that Microsoft has been pushing ahead. So the more steps that we take to secure data, the more steps that we take to uh, monitor and make reliable networks and infrastructure, uh, it's easier for large enterprises, for healthcare enterprises to uh, adopt, right? Yeah. So I know I feel comfortable with my data in the Azure network and transiting. Um, quite often in you know demos that we build, uh, you and I will do cross-region things. Um, Actually, I just released a, uh, an Azure uh, article this week about 
uh, Azure Resource Mover. And uh, that demo um, we built uh, live to do, uh, I think it was West Europe to East US. And um, it's, it's really cool how you can stay on the Azure network and uh, yeah, before I get too far off track with that one, <laughs> I'm going to head myself off at the pass for that one, Marcos. That's okay. So that's yes. Okay. Uh, but one of the things <laughs> yeah. that we you can see on the screen is the way that they are testing this because testing network, like you mentioned, the, the, the one, um, uh, it's not easy. And the way that they are doing all of these, all of these changes, because it's, it's cloud and the cadence of that they are doing all of these changes and all of these improvements, enhancements of the fixtures and everything else, they don't have time to just basically, it's not time, it's, they have to be very agile because as far as we know, every 10 days they are releasing something or something like that, they are releasing something new. And, and this proves that the developer, or in this case, a network engineer, and, and they can test before it goes to the production, um, and they can see through this emulation what's going to be, and that's and that's the involving of the of the cloud, uh, right? And again, the zero touch operations that they are doing, the capacity planning, uh, and all of that. So it's pretty the insight that um, our good friend and CTO of Azure, Mark Rusunovich. Um, give us this insight for us to explore, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, certainly he also speaks to the, the feedback loop from uh, not just live incidents, but also testing incidents yeah. as they go through the, yeah. the emulation, right? So they're using exactly. not only feedback from the human network engineers, but they're using AI feedback on what happened, why did that test fail? comes back and, uh, you know, it just helps build the AI stronger and stronger so that um, the automation uh, can really uh, take off very successfully, right? Yeah. So they can uh, continue to build AI so that they can have less downtime and understand uh, changes and uh, planned and unplanned outages. Yeah. Uh, when things happen, right? So it keeps it keeps the AI, uh, I don't like the word, but agile as well. Yeah. So moving on and moving now to the second news, this is uh, a release, uh, a GA, that the new enhanced DNS features in Azure Firewall. Um, and this, it, this, on this GA was one of the reasons that before all of this, I was explaining my excitement to, to Andrew, that I'm moving my, my blog post and, uh, not blog post, my blog, and my and the company um, into Azure, uh, not into Azure. It's already on Azure, but moving the DNS, all of that, into Azure. So now my name service will become on Azure, and then I have all of that uh, goodness uh, because of this. This was one of the reasons. Um, it was a few days back that they announced the 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 the, the GA. I was working with with that on the preview, and it's pretty awesome so now we can customize dns support that that is is ga so now we can have our name servers and all of that we can have azure private dns so instead of building 
um, building DNS internally for websites uh, through normal DNS and everything else we can now use uh, the Azure one and again this is only private um, and the way that DNX proxy now works we I just saw a, a tweet today uh, from from my good friend Sammy Lau that they are replicating a DNS uh, attack from 2008 now uh, again hmm. um, a DNS bomb uh, or a DNS I don't remember what was the uh, the attack, uh, but they were replicating right now, and apparently it's becoming uh, available for all of this. And by my God, uh, when I when I read that that tweet, um, and I start to, to to see his his post about that, so yeah, it makes me more even more comfortable because now with this um, DNS, it tights directly on azure firewall pretty awesome yeah so azure firewall before was restricted to um only using um azure dns right so now uh the the generally available feature is now you can not only uh you know utilize all of these features for your own dns bringing uh your dns service basically dns forwarding really into azure um but you can now link uh, either single or multiple servers um, and configure Azure Firewall to use your DNS, not just Azure DNS. Um, so for, you know, you and I, we want to bring our services into Azure. Um, it, it allows us more flexibility, uh, building things, uh, exploring and learning. Um, and that's important for other one, uh, you know, anybody to do as well, of course. Yeah. Um, but you know, companies typically don't want that in their production environment. So. Yeah, and, and usually, enterprise co or, or companies or enterprise organizations, they have their own internally. They have what's called a split DNS, right? Yeah. So they have this internal DNS that basically is attached to AD uh, because they need to do that. Is attached to AD. Is attached to everything, and then they have this split DNS, that is what we usually call the external DNS, right? That always it's it's forum uh, when you're coming from outside to some of those uh, applications that you need to do it. And usually you can divide both. Uh, with a lot of organizations moving to the cloud and moving to, um, to Azure, in this case, it becomes way more sensitive. This was, uh, I think it was a little bit delayed we should have this before. It will help us in a lot of our projects, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, if... that's yeah, that's an understatement. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the the one thing actually I do remember you're killing me. <laughs> the the one thing I remember uh reading in this article um was that uh when you configure Azure Firewall now um there's a couple of kind of catches, right? So yeah. you have to be a little bit aware uh, as always, of the requirements for configuration. So in this case, we can use Azure Private DNS uh, for our Azure Firewall DNS. Yes. But it has to be on the same virtual network. So it has to be where everything lives together. And it has to be linked to your Azure Private Zone. Yes. So uh, not, not a big deal. Um, lots of Azure this, Azure that words in that sentence. But 
Um, it's just about, uh, you know, making people aware we have some requirements um, around doing that, but uh, it it's easy to configure and uh, it's uh, chances are if you're using private DNS, you already have those other things in play. Yeah. Uh, so it's just about making sure you check your configuration, linking them together, test it in your uh, in your DevOps or your testing tenant, uh, then, uh, you know, put in your change request. Um, you know, do your testing like we talked about in the previous, the previous article, right? So do your due diligence, do the testing, run your simulations, make sure everything works, then take a look at your change process and pushing it out into production. Yeah. But uh, really, yeah. So uh, you know, Azure Firewall, more flexibility yet again, extending that. And uh, we were hoping for this, I think, last year. This time, <laughs> we had our, our fingers and maybe our toes crossed. But yeah. uh, now it's there, makes it's there. life a bit easier. So you know, that's a really cool thing. It is. It is. And it's it's not only that, right? It's like you said, is an understatement. Um, this is is always evolving, and this is where we need to improve uh, not only us azure is improving a lot and they are mm -hmm. listening to our uh, not complaints let's call it suggestions right community suggestions community yeah, suggestions right. i love that that that's a very good one and and again it sounds really difficult but if you have any problems doing that just drop us a message uh, by email you have all of the social media of azure centric i'm sure that you can find um the well-known Andrew Lowe's on the on the interweb um, and me myself <laughs> so I'm actually you... on webunet instead of interwebs but that's oh, okay oh, okay okay that's okay <laughs> let's move on then let's move on this is not this is not a new uh, or a news or update but it's more like um, we like to promote other stuff as well and that was on the blog um, and I think it's really important so on, on November 18, there's going to be a Azure a Open Azure Day, so we're going yep. to talk about Linux, OS, OSS, um, and everything. Um, that is, it's basically Azure. It's more like it's a compute, if I'm not mistaken, from what I read on the article. It's more on the compute side of it of Azure. So it's I already registered. Uh, I I will attend because it's it's always good to have all of these events. So. Uh, if you are again this is not an update on azure it's more like where you can get more information and probably uh next we're going to talk about this um yeah so this is one of those cool ones right so this is an opportunity for us especially now i think of um to come closer together right so it's about the bigger broader um azure community and that includes open source operating systems and tools. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I thought was cool, and I'm kind of just stealing the points right out of the article. So you know, please again go to Azure Blog and read it. But um, you know, we just wanted to talk about this because it allows uh, you know they have special uh, kind of sessions set up, right? Yeah. Different learning opportunities, I want to maybe call them, but. Uh, they want to talk about running secure, seamless Linux and container apps using tools that uh, open source developers already know. So you don't have to come in and start learning Windows-based tools or other stuff. You can use tool sets you already know and take advantage of Azure services. So they want to show us uh, as a community how to take advantage of that. 
in Azure. And uh, there's also uh, learning about Kubernetes, uh, you know, and uh, cloud native ecosystem. Um, You know, uh, Kubernetes has really taken off in the last few years. It's been around for a long time. I'll acknowledge that. But, um, you know, it's very popular. And certainly, uh, you know, even today yourself talking about CICD pipelines, continuous improvement and continuous deployment pipelines, uh, you know, you want to take advantage of some of these new technologies um, that we can kind of normalize. So uh, one of the things I think you and I do well is explaining techie stuff to normal people. And that's something that we really, as an industry, have to do. Um, yes. But anyways, before I <laughs> before I uh, I do my ADD path there today, um, <laughs> Azure, yeah. Open Azure Day. Um, yeah. So they're also going to talk about building unique hybrid and multi-cloud solutions that meet uh, different organizations' needs. And I thought that was really important. It is. So, you and know, it's a gone. good event to attend, and it's on, on the 18th, November 18th. I don't know when you just um, listen to this podcast, uh, but if you listen before that, uh, November 18, 2020, uh, just go there and register. It's a free event, and we highly recommend to do it. I will attend because I'm sure that we will learn uh, a, a tons on, on that one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to connect with yeah. some experts. Yeah. Of course. Moving on to the next one. This is not an, an Azure um, update, but it's dear to our hearts, right? We could not miss this. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Microsoft just announced PowerShell 7.1. Um, uh-huh. It's, if I'm not mistaken, and we were talking this before um, this, uh, this video or this podcast, right? That they have a f- just a few changes, right? <laughs> One or two. Yeah. So I actually had to uh, go to the Microsoft Docs um, release notes for 7.1. And uh, I copied and pasted into Excel 107 updates and fixes to commandlets. And that's plus the other uh, additions and other changes, right? So just, just to command- 107? Yeah, only 107. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I start to be honest, I thought it was going to be around 45 or so because that's kind of normal. Uh, so I started just counting the bullet points and I got to 55 and I thought, you know what? I'm not about halfway through the scroll bar on here. I think I'm just going to let Excel count for me. <laughs> 107. 107. Yeah. I was yeah. really blown away. A lot of big improvements in there. And uh, I was I was uh, taking a look. I did a little search on Twitter, uh, you know, uh, Posh Seven Point One, and a lot of very positive feedback. Everybody's really excited about this. Yeah. And when I looked at the, uh, just kind of thinking back to our last article about uh, uh, Open Azure Day, um, I was really surprised at how many platforms are uh, supported with PowerShell Seven Point One. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to indulge myself and take uh, like a minute to tell you what is supported, Marcos, because I think uh, you'll be as impressed as I was. I already so, updated my Mac OS and, and it's exactly. pretty, pretty good. I, I, I have to say, be able to, to use PowerShell on natively on Mac OS. 
on Mac. Is, yeah. is, is pretty good. I don't have to open a VM to open a Windows a Windows and start using. No, uh, I, exactly. I, I, I was doing that and it's pretty, pretty good. You can do everything. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. So I'm, I'm a Windows user. I've been uh, Windows for a very long time uh, and I am totally stuck in my desktop ways. Uh, eventually you'll probably sway me and I'll, I'll have to try Mac OS at some point, but, uh, for now I'm still windows 10, but windows 8, 1, 10, and of course, windows server 2012 R2 and higher supported. Uh, now the non windows support is the big bulk of this, uh, kind of up there. <laughs> so I was, I was a little impressed with this. Not a little, I was a lot impressed to, uh, with this, to be honest. So Mac OS, very big. Uh, but also Ubuntu, Debian, CentOS, Red Hat, Enterprise Linux, Fedora, and Alpine. Not to mention community support for Arch Linux, Raspbian Linux, and Kali Linux as well. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Windows, it was also in there. But look at all the open source. And it's just, this is native support. Folks, so this isn't just like open a VM, get Windows running in Wine or whatever. This is uh, a native support at prompt, so yeah. within the OS in the kernel, yeah. and uh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So I'm so thrilled with it because now PowerShell is really, you know, I had these these visions. I was so lucky, uh, as you know, one of the highlights of my uh, kind of evolution in IT was to be able to uh, in-person um, chat with Jeffrey Snover uh, in Texas a few years ago. And uh, it was very impactful for me. So he talked about how his vision was that uh, it was, sorry about that, uh, that uh, PowerShell was starting to manage storage nodes, uh, starting to uh, talk to different network devices uh, interact with switches and routers. And now we've reached that vision. Uh, it was really impactful. And uh, it, it's just so cool to see. So now we've got all this different OS support across all of the things. Um, you know, we're seeing it, uh, not the, you know, one of the exciting ones for me is Raspbian Linux and Kali Linux. So, uh, we, you why, know, we why can those? update our... Why those? <laughs> for, me, for me, the most... The most important one, it's my Mac. <laughs> I don't want it to is. be rude so, and, to, and to be disrespectful of the other ones, but it's what I use. It's what I use daily. And I decided to go with Mac because of that to push me a little bit out of my comfort zone of being mm -hmm. 18 or 20 plus years uh, of using Windows, starting to use a little bit more other platforms because, again, Microsoft didn't involve a lot of times um, if I yeah, so knew myself right now and looking at all of the things that I did 10 years ago if they if they told me oh in the future you're gonna use a Mac I would say you must be out of your mind why I'm gonna leave Windows uh, I'm not saying that Windows right. 10 is bad it's not uh, at all because I have other devices that Windows 10 and oh, yeah, absolutely yeah but it, it, yeah. it so felt for, more... for me, Windows 10 is where I work. Um, that's at my, my kind of my home office desk. Um, and, you know, I use Surface devices. So my go-to is Windows 10. Um, 
For me, uh, I'm not a Mac OS user, but I do like to get into trouble with a few different things. So uh, Kali Linux, certainly for testing, penetration testing, doing some uh, fun stuff. Um, that's a very big tool and it's a, a, a very impactful for PowerShell uh, working within that platform, the Kali platform, because then we can use automation with it, right? So we can script things and once we can script it, it's on command line and now we can automate, we can just yeah. do stuff. Yeah. Um, really important for that. Also remote access is easy uh, through that kind of a venue. Yeah. Now the Raspbian Linux for me, that one is just fun. So for me, that's where I kind of get out of my comfort zone with Raspbian a bit. And uh, my, my garage door uh, runs on uh, Raspberry. <laughs> so, um, and I have, a, I have a few other things I want to get into. Uh, as you know, I have a, a bit of a passion project, my camper. And yeah. it, has some, it has some interesting, cool features in there. Um, so uh, next uh, spring coming up, I'm I'm thinking about doing a little bit of automation with it, and uh, you know maybe Raspbian might be my my go-to for that. It just may be. So, we have to make automation uh, for our Nespresso machine. Wake up, bang, Nespresso. So I've been I I did make an <laughs> attempt on that during our lockdown. Um, I I was semi-successful, but. Uh, there is, uh, there, yeah, I have a bit of work to do with that. I think we can <laughs> we can figure a way out here. So. I was just kidding, Andrew. <laughs> oh, I would never kid about Nespresso or good coffees in general. With us, <laughs> <laughs> definitely caffeine powered, as you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So moving on, and this this probably uh, for our our subscribers and uh, our listeners. Uh, it sounds like redundant that we already talked about this, uh, but they release again and just to see how, how is that important, the, how to optimize the Azure workload costs. I think it was two weeks ago, something like that, uh, yeah. two episodes ago that we talked about that again. But in this case, they kind of frame it again well and they, they, they show Again, it's not a release. It's more like how you can leverage those costs attached to yeah. one of the things that we always talk about that is the the well architecture framework, the Azure well architecture exactly. framework. Exactly. Yeah. So I think this update was more about, uh, as you said, framing cost management and looking at Azure workload costs, but in the context of uh, applying the, the well-architected framework, the Azure well-architected framework, I should be specific. So uh, Omar Khan wrote this article, uh, GM of Microsoft Azure, um, but this is a really kind of an interesting view on it, right? So it gives, I think, organizations a good way to apply the framework uh, over top of it. So, you know, we talk about the pillars within the framework, mm -hmm. but there's also sections within each pillar, right? Yeah. So. Uh, within uh, cost management, uh, there's a couple of different um, kind of points to uh, the, that are discussed rather in this article. And uh, it's a good way for businesses to kind of apply it. So I know um, between, um, you know, Azure centric and you, uh, I, I talk about cost management an awful lot. 
Um, I talk about budgets, uh, Azure budgets and things like that. And this is a good way to kind of help analyze cloud spend. So this update really emphasizes the integration of the, the well-architected uh, framework pillars. Yeah. And um, it, it makes it easier to understand for kind of normal people because one of the problems we have in Azure in general, but IT specifically IT, is translating a technical cost. So when we see things uh, like you and I have gone over a couple Azure invoices in our day and it's not really English. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not English. So you see storage cost, you see uh, data egress, you see different tiers of storage if you're using hot and cold and all these archives and things. So it can get pretty complex. So how do you add it all together and determine, you know, where is my waste? Uh, where is a category that we allocated, you know, you know, say uh, $5,000 to category three, but we're at $7,000. So we're over in one category. So, you know, budget management is a critical piece for business. We have to make sure that we're uh, compliant with yeah. our budgets. Um, otherwise, it's going to be it, tough to pay those bills, it's right? Not, it's, not, it's not only that. It's sometimes these drivers, what we always talk about when we talk about this well, Azure well architecture framework, that basically it's about governance. Uh, it's it, it is it is what we based when we talk about uh, governance in uh, in Azure or uh, in, when we go into specific topics like Azure governance. Um, mm -hmm. It's the the policy. It's like um, sometimes all of this cost. It's just and if you read if you read the the article, you will see that you have we starting to have words that um, we didn't think about it and, and a lot of people say but why Microsoft is so so keen on this uh, cost optimization because they want you to have a good experience right first of all absolutely and then it's like there is a lot of waste and if if uh, last time I was talking to a friend of mine and and all over this pandemic time that we are facing and um, we saw a lot of uh, increase on on the on the cloud adoption, right? Uh, a lot of organizations they were not they were delaying the the, the cloud enablement and and the cloud uh, um, on their organizations, and they force it in some kind of way during this pandemic. And I read a lot of times that, for example, training, and we we know that because we are an MCTs. Um, so Microsoft certified trainers, and we saw that a lot of our uh, training that we tried to do it even uh, online were not available because they were reducing the the foot not the footprint but they were reducing the capability or the capacity of Azure because they are turning more VMs on, and that that is one of the things. And another thing that we starting to I hear a lot is about this cloud waste. So the mentality on the mindset that we have from going from on-prem to the cloud, it's different. Um, it's, it's again, it's a pay as you go. Uh, so why do we have to over uh, provisioning VMs or, or everything? Because this is another mindset is a pay as you go. Yes, you can configure all of the elasticity that the clouds 
provide you but mm -hmm. but it's 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 all related to not only costs but the user um the usage of each organization regarding cloud and th this is not only azure that is talking about that uh, in a few i think in a few days uh, re-event the aws big biggest event um will will come and they are already starting about uh, saying about that because yeah. um it's not that they don't want to spend their dollars on their clouds it's not that it's it's about uh, the organizations to be able to be more productive and by being more productive you don't need to overspend by overcommit your workload uh, right so but this comes back to the well architected framework exactly. right because uh, the now I, maybe we'll talk specifically about those uh, stages right so within cost optimization pillar is the four stages design provision monitor and optimize yeah so really we're saying from design right at the start you want to think about cost optimization. How do you do that? You do it over time through governance, right? Yeah, of course, and, policies uh, and everything else that you need to implement. Uh, uh, something like, uh, we never thought about this, but uh, I remember uh, being on, on, at that time was TechEd, and one of the uh, partners be able to shut down uh, part uh, or partial of data center doing non-business hours, especially on long weekends, for example, or especially during the weekend. And by doing that, you're saving a lot of money because it's energy that you are doing. It's not only the energy directly on the on the servers, but it's it's also the air conditioning energy that you are not having to power that much because now exactly. you don't you have less servers. It means less heat that you need to disinfect, exactly. right? So, yeah, oh, there's a lot of advantages yeah. to optimizing uh, the hours of availability, for example, of the data center. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, maybe, what's the word I want to use? You can turn down uh, a lot of your workloads that are non-critical. Yeah. So if you just need your company website and a contact form open on the weekends and overnight, for example, then you can shut down non-essential systems during that Completely. time. So it's something that you can explore, uh, you know, as a business or as a department even. Any cost savings is good because it, it does it, it impacts, like you said, it's important. It it impacts our environment as well. And it helps us to be responsible citizens uh, you know, of the world. Um, you know, you and I, we both have a great love of the outdoors. And um, it's something that we have to work to protect in all the things we do, right? Yeah. So you pick up litter when you see it. But, you know, you shut off a light when you're not in the room. You also shut down the server if nobody's going to be using it for days and days. Yeah. So uh, it's a scary thing because, you know, we've been conditioned in IT to think of, you know, that 99.99 plus percent availability. But that's still valid as long as those hours are defined by the business. Yeah. Uh, then we can still adhere to that yeah. uptime. And, and, so it's... it's I, and I agree. It's it's like it's it's. I think yeah. I I completely agree with what you're saying. It's more uh, on educational part of it that this becomes. That's why it's important. That's why we're coming again in in, in all, all of these um, Azure news uh, 
uh, on Azure centric podcasts that we're coming again with this topic um, and Microsoft again on a space of two or three weeks um, they came again with this topic again to just reinforce that part how you can optimize because this at the end what allow is allow that you, the company will have a bigger budget to do other things as well exactly at the, at the, end, yeah. is, at the end is going to be that right so if you're thinking right. on and, that, and they do speak about that in the article yeah. as well right so it's important to have that governance wrapped around um all of these pillars right because uh for cost optimization we want you know it, it can help save money but it's also part of uh, adherence uh and compliance to green initiatives as well being responsible in all aspects not just the green of money but right now with the whole pandemic going on it's really important uh you know I think of it as we, but we in IT have really spent a lot of money rapidly changing, rapidly moving, and uh, those those dollars have come from either future budgets or reserve budgets. Yeah. And uh, we do need to be aware of that, and we have to understand that this gives us an opportunity just monitoring, optimizing costs, getting rid of any waste that's not used, like, oh, heck, that testing server's been on for you know three weeks after we yeah. finished something and that happens all the time all it's the time. easy but monitoring yeah. through governance can really help control those costs Completely. and during these complex times uh we can help save that money for that company by doing that and that's important it's it's good to contribute right it is it is it is my good friend it's been an awesome conversation uh during these updates uh i think we are at the end of our podcasts uh, it's been a, a normal one a lot of good content coming um, once again thank you Andrew for for being part of the Azure centric podcasts um, once more and please help us to grow uh, subscribe the channel um, give us feedback if you want some topics extra topics that we can do we I think that uh, we can always arrange a time in our busy schedules uh, to just talk about that. So once again, Andrew, thank you very much uh, for coming um, and see you next week in this case. Thank you so much for having me, Marcos.